Welcome to Watch This Space, the podcast about future of work. Every month, we bring you insider perspectives on how digital transformation, emerging tech, and generational change are shaping the future of work. We are two analog guys, finding the groove for all of this in today's digital world. I'm John Arnold, and these trends are my focus as an independent technology analyst in my company, Jay Arnold and Associates. And I'm Chris Fine. I'm an independent consultant and strategist specializing in workplace technology, IoT, and security. My company is Integrative Technologies. Hey, John. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another month of Watch This Space. Uh, John, I know you've been uh, on the road and you're about to get on the road again. So what's, uh, what's been on the calendar? What's new? Yeah, Chris, good. Thanks all to be uh, with us again, as you said earlier. And uh, we continue to go on and so do the events. You know, it's uh, we're starting to come out of winter a little bit and uh, spring has got quite a few events coming. And I, I could touch on that a little bit later. But where I have been most recently, so we're, we're talking here, folks, you know, uh, March uh, timeframe. So I was recently at... 8 by 8 they had an analyst event in New York City, and they held it at, you know, this is a telling thing, Chris, at the NASDAQ market site, which I had never been to before. So that's a, that's a good hint that, gee, there might be financial analysts there. And yes, there were financial analysts. 8 by 8 if you don't know, is a, has been a longtime public company. Uh, their stock has not really, you know, lit the market on fire but you know what? They are still here. And I have to tell you, Chris, going back to our earliest days and, um, you know, thinking of Jeff and the Vaughn era, but, you know, when VoIP was just happening, 8 by 8 was one of those very first companies along with Vonage. And they used to, they were initially called Packet 8. And I don't quite know the story why or when they shifted to 8 by 8. But like Vonage, they started out as a residential uh, landline replacement service right that's where voip was making its first kind of waves of disruption and you know they have always been a very strong technical company uh brian martin their longtime cto uh he's got a ton of patents and uh is one of the real pioneers you know forerunner of what voip has become and you know they i i honestly chris i can't think of too many companies I'd like you to chime in here because we go back that long, you know, that are still in the game that are still largely doing what they started out doing. I think there are more than you'd think. I'm thinking about the exhibit floor at IT Expo where you see some names, uh, you know, like Grandstream, right, with the phones. I think there's a fair number of them that have either morphed their names in a less recognizable way or combined or recombined. And they tend to be good operating businesses for small, medium business and sometimes regional, um, but uh, but relatively few names that have stayed as public as 8x8 and Vonage. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. And I have to say those two companies in the same breath because they, to me, when you think about, you know, the dawn of VoIP as we know it, they are, they were there. And they're still independent. You know, Vonage is now part of Ericsson. So, uh, you know, companies like Netophone, believe it or not, are still around. But, you know, as far as companies that kind of 
created a lot of the DNA that we take for granted today. I don't, I just can't think of too many. And so it's, it's kind of special to me to say, okay, these guys have been doing this for this long, but then it raises the question, right? How is it that other companies that have come along much later than them and have achieved, you know, orders of magnitude higher brand recognition, you know, valuation, stock price, you name it. Um, and it's just interesting, Chris, you know, we've seen so much, you know, how is it that some companies scale and whatever have successful exits and others that continue to kind of stay in their kind of in their lane, so to speak, but have always, I'm sure, had aspirations to grow bigger. But for some reason, it just hasn't happened. And I don't know why. I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm thrilled that they're still around. And they're a great example of companies that have stuck to their business and have, you know, remained kind of, you know, true to their vision. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a there's a few things that usually happen in situations like this market, where the majority of the rapidly growing innovators and players over the years really did get absorbed successfully or not successfully over time. And this happened over a period of years, right? I mean, it still goes on to some degree. If there's if a company shows success, they very often get acquired. And then, you know, obviously there are some that have flamed out or whatever else happened to them. And then, but there's always some in the middle where it's, it, and it's a partly a strategic choice of the company to remain independent and have a good franchise and do what you do. That's been true in this business, like most other businesses, you know, there's a good, there's usually an, a, an opening for a certain number of companies that have a good, solid franchise, customer reputation, geographic footprint, critical mass, you know, where they just keep on going. I would be my guess, not not knowing as much about them as as you do. Yeah. Yeah. And what what I find interesting is it's they're a good example of a company that's always been, as have most of these early stage companies, been very engineering, uh, R and D driven, but it also shows you, you know, that that you need more. Right. You know, it, the importance of marketing and brand building and, you know, building a strong, uh, I don't know, profile of leadership, whatever you want to call it to get better known, you know. And so I've always looked at that company as one that says, you know what, they should probably be more of a household name than they are. You know, those in the know absolutely know who they are, but they don't command the same kind of brand recognition and it shows in their sales volumes and their stock price etc etc but you know they continue to slog along and very accessible uh easy for analysts to engage with and we saw all of their roadmap you know you know stories and uh you know they've got a good vision it's as good as anybody else's and they're banking heavily on open ai and they're banking heavily on where a lot of the companies are going now more to contact center um not going away from the ucas but you know that space is becoming you know, more commodified than contact center is that, but that's only because contact center has been late to the game and is now catching up. That space will be commoditized too, but they've pivoted more to that market space um, as their value prop. Interesting, John. So what do you think wrapping up about eight by eight? Sounds like a good trip, but then maybe we can move on to the next topic. So with 8x8, you know, this is a company that's been around a long time. 
Uh, they have not scaled the way other players in that UCAS hosted, you know, voice services space have gone. Uh, so there's a lot to like about the products, about the technology, about their R&D vision, for sure. They do a lot of the right things in terms of, you know, creating the solutions, building the right feature sets, et cetera, et cetera. But they have not been as successful in terms of marketing growing the company's revenues, the the acquisitions of bigger customers, et cetera. But the reality is, you know, the company is struggling financially. They, you know, like others in this space as well, by the way. But it's certainly a company that it's going to be hard to see how they're going to scale past a certain point unless something drastic happens. But, you know, bottom line is it's good to see independent technology players like this who have been there a long time that are still in the game. We'll see what happens as the year unfolds. But, um I don't know. I think it's 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 a good example of how companies can be very good at one thing for a long time, but it also shows the importance of you've got to have a lot of pieces to really get to the next level. And that's something they've I think they've kind of struggled with over the years. So that's you know, that that's my takeaway for eight by eight for the time being, and let's see where they are later in the year. Yeah, agreed. And and also maybe worth mentioning that every company in the enterprise communication space is going through turbulent times right now. And, uh, in, you know, in, in combination with the general economic uncertainty. And we're going to talk more about that later about enterprise communications. But uh, all the companies in the space are trying to figure out what the future is, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, layoffs have been across the board, as we know. And you got to wonder, Chris, with all these smart people who are out of work right now, is that going to take us somewhere, right? Is that going to maybe create the next wave of innovators and disruptors uh, starting up their own businesses. You know, we shall see, you know, we shall see. Well, it usually does. And I think there are some tech trends out there that we can talk about that would contribute to the possibility of making a much better solution than we have in certain instances right now, especially for collaboration, conferencing, et cetera. But anyway, why don't we talk a little bit about, um, What's upcoming? Does that make sense? Or did you have anything from last month that you also wanted to talk about? Well, be, uh, being where we are in the date of our recordings here, this would be, you know, Enterprise Connect is kind of on the bubble of that, right? Because it's at the end of March. And I got to tell you, Chris, if there's any place, if I was an out of work guy who just, you know, had been working for a few years at one of these big tech players, that's the event I'd be going to because that's where they're all going to be. And uh, if you're either looking for a job or inspiration for what you should be doing, if you're going to think about some form of a startup, the, the variety of things that are on top there, you know, it's it's the biggest event in the space. So if it's happening, it's going to be at Enterprise Connect. And uh, this will be the first year, you know, we're back full on since the pandemic started. So this has got to be four years running where um, a chance for people to gather fairly safely. Last year, it was more like a half or two thirds of what it used to be. But I think by now, there's enough comfort level. We've all been going to events for the most part over the last year. So the attendance should be, you know, I would say back to where it's normally been. So we're saying this now, of course, a few days ahead of Enterprise Connect while we're recording. But as you're listening to this podcast now, folks, it's just a couple of days past. So that, that, that's all I can say about that, because the reality will be what it is when, when I'm actually there. 
But uh, certainly the themes of that event, I think, reflect the variety of things going on in the space, you know, in terms of types of applications and things that people are building and selling in the marketplace. And I think a, a core focus for us, Chris, I think would be that enterprise communications where we had uh, left off last week or last month, I should say, for our podcast about something to touch on. And I and we will, uh, let's get to that in a bit. But um, you're, you're right in terms of what's going to be on tap, UC remains like still the biggest focus. And frankly, I scratched my head a little bit because I'm not exactly sure why we've been talking about this for a long time and doing it for a long time. But it just shows you, I think, Chris, how fundamental it is to have effective communications tools in, in your business because you think it would be all sorted out by now. You know, we don't talk about the PBX anymore. And it used to be all there was to talk about. But we kind of solved all those problems a long time ago. But you see, I think still is a bit of a moving target, huh? Yeah. Acronym patrol here. You see yes. unified communications and PBXs were the old school corporate enterprise phone systems. It, there are modern day versions of it, but basically, you know, you think back to the old days of having an old school telephone on your desk with all the buttons. That was a PBX. But uh, John, you're going to be talking, right? You're going to talk about speech technology, and you're also going to be a judge on the innovation panel. So, you know, this is this is another thing with John Arnold goes to and he's part of as well, right? Yes, yes. So more than just an attendee, I suppose. So that's good. I'm always happy to get opportunities to speak. So this is the fifth year running. I've been doing a track on enterprise-focused uses of speech tech. As we know, as we talk about here regularly, you know, AI is kind of driving everything. And my focus for AI has been particular on speech technologies for the past few years. And we all know what that looks like in the contact center. We've all dealt with chatbots, right? Automated forms of self-service that are usually pretty awful, but they are getting better. But the enterprise applications are still, you know, they're kind of in their own genre, so to speak. And UC has been incorporating, you know, year after year, Chris, all these features that are essentially either speech and enabled or speech based. So we talk about things like, you know, real time translation, real time transcription, uh, AI helps take that and then create, you know, summary notes for meetings. So you don't have to watch an hour long replay of a whole meeting that you missed, rather, you can just get the summary notes and get the three minute, you know, Reader's Digest version. That's pretty good. I mean, there are nice, tidy applications that are truly helpful for productivity in uh, UC. And I think that's really where the value of this starts to go. In other words, not just being a, a pure form of just enabling communications, but like having all the tools in one place, you know, text, chat, voice, video, etc. But rather, now you have the tools for doing that. That's the communications part. And the unified part of UC is that they're all in one interface. So that is kind of a step forward. But we need to get beyond communicating to the other term we hear a lot about, which is collaborating, right? How do we actually work in groups where communications is part of the collaboration process, but there are workflows and project management things to 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 worry about. And so when you start thinking about the whole process of how we do work, 
that's you know communications is a enabler for that but it's not the it's not the end game right it's how do we get our how do we get our meetings done more efficiently how do we get our project work done more effectively how do we turn our you know workflows around faster that that kind of thing right oh exactly so it should be a good event my event in april is um I'm going to be doing a session with Jeff Pulver at the Vaughn Evolution in New York on the 18th of April. We're doing a little pre-event blurb on on uh, on some kind of online thing on the 4th. And we're going to talk about future of work. And with Jeff, it's always a, you know sort of an interview or a fireside chat. So I'm not exactly sure what aspects of it he wants to emphasize, but that's the topic. And uh, he's got a pretty full day packed in New York City so each of us gets like 10 or 15 minutes. So I will have my proverbial 15 minutes of fame with that. And that should be interesting. I'm also going to be at uh, the HPE Aruba Atmosphere event later this month. And that's always an interesting event as well. So, but why don't we launch into our um, our topic? You just got started with it. Enterprise communications. And where's it going in a world of hybrid work? I suspect it'll be more than just today. I'll throw this out as a start. So as a hybrid worker, as most people are, most both of us do this, uh, we're mostly remote, but I would put forward the proposition that the products that we have today, like Zoom, you know, Teams, um, you know, WebEx, all of, all of these types of products, I think they're about 80% of the way there, right? So they've effectively replaced the telephone back to our eight by eight discussion and enterprise telecom, because they all have telephony kinds of features or audio only features built in. They allow, especially something like Teams, uh, allows one-to-one chats, which can be on voice or video or text. So this technology is really advanced right now, but it feels like in a world of hybrid work, there's still a, a gap and and there are two. And the two that I would bring up and see what you think are, number one is the degree of immersiveness for all the participants is not maybe where it could be in a world of AR and VR and um, uh, AI and various things could potentially make it more immersive for all participants to the extent that they need in a given session. And B, not unrelated, is how do we handle what is sometimes called conferencing equality or conferencing equity, where everybody who's in a hybrid call, some people are in a room and some aren't, have the same feeling of involvement in the meeting and ability to participate uh, and empowerment to speak. So what do you think about that? I mean, where do you think we are right now with this? Mm -hmm. Well, you're definitely touching on where the tech is going, right? As opposed to where it's been, you know, replicating the telephony feature set and as you agreed we're, we're we're past that so the idea of it being more immersive i think is important because if you're working at home you're working in isolation and chances are your home-based setup isn't ideal for work you know if you're if you're comfortable in a big house with a dedicated room that's one thing but you know, a lot of people live in cramped quarters, they might have kids around, you know, pets, kids, whatever, you know, all those distractions that make it feel more, you know, it's more like home than work. And so for them, the idea of it, how do I feel like I'm like, I'm in the office, right? How do I feel like I'm with my coworkers, 
and that I'm viewed as being equal participant in a collaboration effort. So, you know, if, if there's 10 people on a team and eight of them are in the office and two of them are working from home, chances are those two at home are going to probably feel left out or maybe, you know, looked over a little bit at times because it's really hard to, you know, when you think about it, how, you know, sometimes, you know, when we have like group, you know, interactions where with a bunch of people like in a restaurant or something, and then somebody joins on video, you know, just to say hi and stuff. And you, you just know how different that must feel for that person. And I think there, that sense of immersiveness, Chris, can really help bridge some of that. And yes, that is where some of the VR stuff comes in, in the sense that everyone is kind of shooting for the same interface or experience. Then that kind of blends everyone into one kind of setting. Um, but that's, get you know, that's not as easy to do as it looks. We're still a ways off. And frankly, generationally, you know, some people are older people are less probably inclined to do that than younger people. So I, I think that I want to stop first and about that immersive idea, because I think it probably means different things to different generations. You think, really? Because um, I guess what I meant, and should have clarified it, was just enough, at least, uh, involvement or technology to let you feel that you were connected to everything that was going on. I'm not necessarily, so I am definitely not talking about the metaverse, although one might be, as you say, general generationally. I don't think that turning video, turning conferences and meetings into video games per se is necessarily what everybody would want to do. But I do think that the problem is that when you're a remote participant, number one, you miss a lot of context. And number two, it's difficult for you to jump in as you can or to show your own body language or anything else as you can when you're present. So when I say immersiveness, John, I'm not necessarily jumping straight to full-on VR glasses and certainly not to avatars or anything like that. I just am kind of raising the question of however we get there. I feel as though in hybrid meetings, there needs to be more immersiveness. Yeah, agreed. Uh, on, on that on that level, yes, for sure. And that's at the heart, I think, of the whole hybrid model working. And it's pretty safe to say that even a year plus into this, most companies are still trying to figure it out. I think, you know, as like we talked about at the future work event, right, um, that mix of home and work, uh, home and office seems to be like the ideal scenario seems to be Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, in office, Monday, Friday at home. And if that's going to be a workable balance, then that home-based experience has got to somehow be good enough, right, to keep it where it, everybody wants it to be, you know, to, to have that feeling. So, yeah, to what you're saying, Chris, absolutely, all of those things that make sure that you feel equally, you know, present in the meeting. And and I know that's where some, you know, some of the collaboration platforms where they're going with that is the, you know, the layout on the screen gives everybody equal real estate, right? So it doesn't matter whether you're in that conference room or at home or in your car, everyone appears size-wise on the screen as being the same. So that's one way, I think, to make people feel that they're going to be seen and heard while they're in this environment. Yeah, and people also learn how to use techniques like the, the hand raise, you know, 
which is the, the, the emoji or the little animation that's in a lot of these tools. So you make a good point. It may be a question of learning and it'll just evolve. But um, one thing you said I wanted to go back to, which was kind of interesting, you'd said about the home environment. So I, I happened to be on a webinar last this just a couple of days ago with Leesman, you know, the co the co uh writers of the report that I've talked about. And this was updated data on some of the same topics and areas, which is their normal theme of the quality of the workplace. And they showed a couple of interesting statistics. One was that the people's satisfaction with their home office had increased over the last three years because they had made steps to really create a carved out area. So what happened was that people who don't really have a, a dedicated area, if not a separate space, people who have to just sit at the dining room table and deal with pets and kids and everything are still, would still, you know, have more, have less of a preference to work at home, but more people had carved out an area, even in a small space where they felt was like, this is my workspace. And, and so the satisfaction levels overall had increased. Also the data that they show consistently shows that a lot of this varies by geography, right? By location, by market, and such things as the average size of housing, which, for example, is smaller in Europe. Uh, the commute, which is better in Europe, if it's short bicycle ride or walk or public transit, people are more likely to spend more time in the office. Um, so there's a lot of factors, but fundamentally, if we were to pick a big bet, particularly in the major markets, and particularly in in the U.S. and North America, you might well say that there's just going to be a reduction of real estate and more time sharing of office space and more, you know, the ongoing long future of hybrid work, right? Yeah. And, and add to that, you know, I think there's going to be growing um, use of uh, what do they call these like third spaces. Yeah. Right. So the these, you know, we work kind of environments that are, you know, I think that's a great business opportunity. I don't think they were just too early to market a few years back. But, you know, having that kind of neutral ground where, as you say, an organization might, you know, take a, some of that office space on a regular basis and say, you know what, you know, these two rooms are, are for our employees because we have a cluster of them who, you know, live within walking distance of this place. And that's kind of a could uh, another model you could have to almost have like a satellite operation that is it's a form of hoteling i guess but at least it, it, again it makes you feel more connected that you're just you know if you're just a random you know everyone's out there you know they every day is a different scenario for them it's really hard to stay involved you know culture wise and stuff like that so but i think if there are these like third spaces that you can kind of go to the same place each time um, and meet with your coworkers there instead of going, you know, two hours out of town to the head office, whatever that, that can be a very, I think that can be a very good way to balance some of this stuff. So again, as you say, as offices give up big footprints of office space, that may all create new opportunities for other players to come in and use that surplus space and reinvent it into other things, you know, much like the way old, you know, churches get reinvented into condominiums, you know, that kind of thing as their uses move on. Well, there's certainly a need for more housing, particularly, 
you know, to bring down some of the crazy prices in some of these markets with more competition. But, you know, I, I think what this says, though, going back to the topic of communications, at least, you know, one point of view here is that there's a great opportunity for the next generation of tools that just takes it into that additional 20% that's missing right now. There's such a fabulous technological base of tools and technologies that allow you to work in some form from anywhere and share most of what you need to share, cloud-based virtualization, uh, shared repositories. I mean, all these, all and, and not to mention just the communications itself, there's so much possible right now. But I think what uh, the opportunity for the next generation is really just to try to get an even better answer to location independent work, if you get what I'm saying, right? And I'll give you an mm -hmm. analogy of what I'm thinking. So let's think about, you know, how do you watch a movie? Okay, so you could go for the full immersive experience at a, at a theater, or you could watch it in a high-end home theater, which is kind of like a conference room with all the AV fitted out, or you could watch it on your phone, from anywhere. And that's the world of streaming and technology and media where we have right now. So what's what's similar to that in, in enterprise communications, right? So maybe, as you say, these third spaces, I could see a third space, a third party space taking the leap from where some of them are right now, like Convene, where they're specifically around having meetings toward building really good facilities optimized for collaborative experience and creative experiences where some of the participants are remote, I can actually see that happening as well as private enterprise versions of this. Do you think so? Yeah. You know, you're making me think a little bit about challenges of um, that the EV manufacturers face that now that the big auto guys are on board with EV, it's, 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 it's changing the market. But when you were, a pure play like a Tesla, you had no dealership network to sell your cars in public, right? You had to create other ways of generating demand and engagement with customers. So what did they do? Well, one of the things they did, right? They rented out space in shopping malls, right? That they would hollow out the, the space and use it as a showroom for their cars. And that way consumers could see and touch the product right they could experience it and they could you know they could get right up close to the vehicle and that's a huge way to create demand for your product and as you're talking chris i'm starting to think i'm wondering i wouldn't be surprised if there's a way for companies if they really want to build their brands like zoom or amazon maybe even cisco or micro just like they have stores like microsoft has a store for all their products you know, I could I could see that if they really wanted to do this, maybe they could take out some footprint of their own and have Microsoft branded collaboration centers, right? Where you go in, you don't even have to bring anything. They have all the tools there and all the applications. And certainly when you think of Zoom, for example, you know, they have these completely outfitted meeting rooms, right? That are purpose built, top to bottom, inside out all connect you know a fully immersive experience that has all the goodies there why you know why couldn't that be a business model right to just have rooms that you rent out on you know on a on a meeting basis 
for, uh, for, for, you know, for third, you know, for independent businesses or businesses who just have nowhere to, nowhere to put their people and they need a meeting room for 20 people. Why not? Right. No, agreed. That's an interesting idea. And you could see it applying far beyond that as well. If some, if, if somebody or some parties came up with a good solution to do this, you could see making deals with hotels, for example, right? Because you know how awful the AV is typically in hotel meeting rooms. Mm-hmm. So why not in a, you know, a higher echelon hotel brand or even a good working hotel brand, like some of the mid-level Hilton and Marriott brands to have like a space or two that just is aimed at this. So the devil's advocate position I would give is it's a lot of investment. Do they, A, do they know how to market it, B, and C, the maintenance, right? There's a fair amount of operational cost in in maintaining these kinds of facilities, particularly if they're quasi-public. So there are definitely some hurdles to overcome, but you would think that this would be a good opportunity going forward if there's less dedicated private office space. And again, it's our usual disclaimer. We're talking about a certain working population. But I feel as though if they solve this problem, it would spill over into things like contact centers because you'd be able to give the caller or the contact person, the person who's calling you or contacting you, a much more complete experience, right? You could walk them through things. You could feel more of a connection. You could you could have more of a follow-up and a workflow, Right. And so it's not really just, you know, your typical let's discuss something kind of meeting. It, it, there's other uses as well. Yeah. And another reason why I'm kind of exploring this thread here, Chris, is that this is another example to me of how consumer driven and consumer led a lot of technologies have become. And when we get accustomed to things in our personal lives, those are the tools we want to use at work when they're really good. And if you had exposure to something like this, it could be a Cisco WebEx branded uh, hotel experience where you say, hey, this was really good. You know, it's way better than what we're using in the office, right? And now they get it, you know, it, it can be another way to kind of get your brand embedded in the heads of the end users, not necessarily the buyers, but it's another way of driving demand for your products, right? And it's, it's I think it's there for anyone if they really want it. I'm, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, me neither. You'd have to develop a whole business model around it, right? You'd have to figure out yeah. how to operate it. But point being that no matter where these facilities manifest themselves, you're going to see a lot of change in the way offices and conference rooms are laid out and provisioned in order to promote more equity and also to just allow high productivity hybrid work with the assumption reasonably certain that for some majority percentage of the time, you're not going to have everybody in the same room, right? That's yeah. the thing. That's really mm-hmm. the change. Because in the past, I, the way I would characterize it is, first of all, most of the time, most of the people were in the office. Um, if somebody was out of the office, it wasn't because they were a hybrid worker. It was more, they were just out that day. You know, they had a they 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 had a something they got to deal with at home. Um, you know, it was illness or the classic types of reasons that you had to be out for a day in the old world, right? So you kind of knew that you were a remote participant, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but now, what if that's just the norm? What if that's every day? What's that every meeting? 
you know, doesn't technology and design have to adapt for that? I think we're on to something here. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> okay. Well, but we do have to go. But that'll yes. keep you that'll keep them hanging in the balance. But of course you're coming back, folks, right? You're here with us every month, aren't you? We hope so. We do we hope sure so. Do. <laughs> okay, well, I think we've uh, taken up enough time for today. Um, and hold that thought, because I think we've got something to build on here. But uh, as usual, there'll be much to discuss next time, because there's something new happening every month. And that's why we do what we do. So that uh, takes us to time for today, folks. So we'd like to thank you for listening. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed the podcast and you'll continue as we explore the future of work here on Watch This Space. You can access all of our episodes at www.watchthisspace.tech or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. And we're on all the major platforms. So if you like what we are saying today, we'd love to hear your thoughts, a review, maybe suggestions for future episodes. But we are always here and listening. And we hope you are too. So that's it for me. I'm John Arnold. I'm Chris Fine. Thank you, John. Always a pleasure. Thanks everyone for listening. And we'll return again in a month for another episode of Watch This Space.